I pulled up to the meeting that night in my Ford Excellent R3i, which was a proper 1980s sports car for anyone who who was is that old to remember. If not, you can Google it. I had the mullet to match, you know, the hair to match the the, the 80s car, and I had everything. Again, you know, um, all of those things. Um, and yet, when, when I had it, because football was my god, if I played well, I was up. If I played badly, I was down. And these people in that living room that night didn't have what I had. Uh, they weren't weren't necessarily in the in crowd. I was, and yet when I walked in and they spoke about Jesus Christ and they prayed, there was a joy and a reality they had that I did not have. Welcome back to the Christians in Sport podcast. It's great to have you with us today. We have a great interview, an interview with Gavin Peacock. Uh, Dano's going to give you his full CV in a minute, and it is stellar. Uh, Gav's recently published a book, his story called A Greater Glory from Pitch to Pulpit. We'll have links later in the show, uh, tell you where to buy it from. It'll be in the show notes as well. You can find it there. So listen in, uh, enjoy a great chat about Gavin's career in football, the media, and lastly as a pastor. It's a great listen. Enjoy. So the book's been out a couple of months. A Greater Glory from Pitch to Pulpit by Gavin Peacock. And if anyone's going to talk about football and faith, I think this is the man. Over 500 league games, over 100 goals, 18-year career, when the average career is max eight years, max eight years typically, 18-year career, 84 to 202. And the list of clubs, well, QPR, Gillingham, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Chelsea, back to QPR to finish. But what about the managers? Venables, Redknapp, Ardiles, Keegan, Hoddle, Hullet, Jerry Francis, and his dad, which we'll have to talk about. <laughs> he leaves football. He has a very, very firm career in broadcasting, if he wants it. At Sky, the BBC, a six-year window uh, at the top end of the media, which he then decides, he decides, he makes the call that the best way that God is going to use him uh, is as a pastor, so he does his theological training, heads off in due course to Canada, which is his base today. A long background, Gavin, but unavoidable because it's a long story uh, and all captured in a greater glory from pitch to pulpit. Great to have your company today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Graham. Yeah, good to be with you. I thought what we could really try and do here is mirror the book and draw out some of the stories of your life from it. So I'm going to dive in by asking you, when you were a boy, Hmm. it's 1984, you're what's now called a scholar in football, an apprentice professional, and you come to faith in Christ. Hmm. Hardly anyone says they're a Christian in football at this time. Talk us through the story as we see it from your writing. Well, yes, I... I'd achieved a schoolboy dream, really. I'd, I'd become a professional footballer. Um, I followed in my father's footsteps, my dad, Keith, being a professional for 17 years for Charlton. Um, so all I ever wanted to do was was be a footballer like him. And uh, left school at 16 and um, I, I joined QPR, who were in the top flight then. Terry Venables was manager. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd achieved the, the, the dream. Everything the world tells you will bring you happiness. Uh, to have that fame and, and the money and the career and um, all of those things. Um, and yet when, when I had it, because football was my God, if I played well, I was up. If I played badly, I was down. And so I just 
turned, I, I was a pro, I, I turned pro and I had a contract. And um, so I was wrestling through these things uh, as a young pro at QPR thinking, well, it's not maybe all it's cracked up to be. Um, and then just one night, my mum uh, went along to the local church, not a Christian. She just said, I'm just going to check it out tonight. And I said, I'll keep you company. I went with her. The pastor said to me there uh, afterwards, he said, come come to my house. He said, I've got a, a youth meeting there. Some people your age will be there. So I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll go along. I pulled up to the meeting that night in my Ford Exxon R3i, which was a proper 1980s sports car for anyone who, who was is that old to remember. If not, you can Google it. I had the mullet to match, you know, the hair to match the the eighties car. And I had everything again, you know, these people in that living room that night didn't have what I had. Uh, they weren't, weren't necessarily in the in crowd. I was. And yet when I walked in and they spoke about Jesus Christ and they prayed, there was a joy and a reality they had that I did not have. Uh, and that struck me. Number one is just this kind of testimony of these other young people. Um, and then I heard the minister unpack from the Bible, what is the gospel? In other words, what is the good news of, of what God has done to, to save sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ? And I, and I realized that my greatest need wasn't the approval of the crowd on the Saturday, but was to be in a right relationship with the living God who made me. And, and then suddenly, Graham, um, everything fell into its right place. Uh, Jesus is, is God and football wasn't. But uh, then... I, I could actually have the right perspective on my football career and it freed me uh, going forward. So, so that's in a nutshell, uh, as, a, as an 18-year-old, how I became a Christian uh, whilst a young professional footballer. And that's shortly before your league debut, right? Not yeah, I, I, it's exactly. Yeah, it was only a few months and then I was in the first team. By this time, Jim Smith had taken over at QPR and, uh, and he gave me my first team debut. No, he was a hard taskmaster guy, wasn't he, Jim Smith? I, I was a little bit nervous with Jim. I write, write about this in the book because my dad, who was, after he retired from playing, he became a manager at, at, at Gillingham Football Club. And he'd had a few battles against Jim with his, in, when Jim was uh, manager of Oxford. And he said, Gavin, he said, he's a great, he's a really good manager. He knows his football. He is a good man. He said, but he does like to growl and shout the players. And uh, of course, Jim's thick set northerner, bald head, the bald eagle, they called him. Um, he was a bit nervous of him. I'm a young pro and he would, you know, don't give the ball away. He would chant at you, you know, in your dressing room. And you weren't, you weren't worried about giving the ball away until Jim started chanting, don't give the ball away. Um, but he, you know, he took a chance on a player. He knew when to bring players in and when to leave them out. And uh, he's went went down. I mean, he, he's dead now, a, a couple of years. But uh, he went down as, as one of the really good English managers. Well, interestingly, uh, if we're jumping around a little bit, but he's the one who took you to Newcastle, right? Uh, yeah. So meanwhile... Let, let me contextualize this so we can talk about Jim Smith and then the Newcastle period. Uh, so we read it in the book, uh, QPR, top, top draw, top three team, Venables, very good young team, very hard for a young pro, however good you were, to break in at mm -hmm. that point. So you make a big career decision, which paid off, drop down, as it were, to Gillingham. Very quickly, Bournemouth come in for you uh, next year. 
go to Bournemouth, they get relegated, but Newcastle come in for you. Now, that's a big move, and it's Jim Smith that's the continuity. Talk to us about, in hindsight, managers like Jim Smith and mm-hmm. how critical they can be in a career for a boy who joins him at QPR in the first place. Yeah, I think you, you, can, you can look back as, as a player and see certain managers or coaches that have had a big influence on you and and maybe they've kind of returned into your life at different periods for me that was certainly the case with Jim um he certainly believed in in me at QPR as a youngster and and gave my debut had a, a good few appearances under Jim and then of course I did go on my travels I did take the, the the gamble as it were to go down a couple of divisions to come back up and play for my dad for a little while at Gillingham then Harry Redknapp at Bournemouth but Jim was obviously keeping an eye on things. And um, and then out the blue, I, I was I remember the, the day very clearly. I was was training at Bournemouth and Harry was on the side of the field and you know he was on the phone and, and he kind of kept glancing over at me and then he just walked across to me after training. He said, Gavin, uh, Newcastle United and Jim Smith's coming for you. Um, do you want to go? And and I just knew then it was it was a no-brainer for me. I I had to go to Newcastle. Uh, the fact that Jim was my old manager calling me up there was was another thing. Uh, but Newcastle being the club it was, my my family on my dad's side, all for, from the northeast, from South Shields, uh, and it was a sleeping giant that, that that for me was was the platform to to the top. Gavin, at this point, uh, you've now had three clubs. You're being signed by a fourth. You're becoming, you are an established professional footballer and you're going to the very top level, very top level now where you remain for quite a few years after this. Um, you've talked about coming to faith as a very young professional at 18 mm-hmm. and the degree of joy or security uh, through seeing other people who didn't have your mullet or flashy car mm-hmm. that were deeply secure and being attracted by that, the winsomeness of it. What about then the challenge of professional football? Mm. You're in there. It's a huge risk dropping Mm. down to Gillingham to get back to the top. Mm. What role your personal relationship with God through Christ in this window as a young footballer taking these chances? Did you feel nervous or scared? Um, I don't remember feeling uh, inordinately scared at all. Um, I, I, I think what happened is what, when I became a Christian, suddenly um, I wasn't the sum of my performances uh, on the field anymore. You know, my identity lay elsewhere. It lay in, in God and, uh, and, in, and in Jesus Christ and knowing my purpose in life, you know, created by him and for him. That's a great thing. You know, the world is looking for purpose. Everyone's looking for identity. The whole world is confused. Everyone wants that sense of purpose, identity, what what you're made for. And as a Christian, you know that. So then everything else finds its right level. And you don't have then that that uh, inordinate anxiety. Now, then you, you still get nervous about things. There's, you know, there's there are things that, would affect you, but there is a base security there, a base joy that can't be touched. Um, so then when, when you do make decisions, so for me then, yes, I, I went down to, I was an England under 19 international. I had a, Jim Smith offered me a, a four-year deal at QPR, but I wanted to play every week 
maybe a little bit of the impatience of youth there. Um, my dad was the manager of Gillingham, said, I'll play you every week. You can really look. I wanted to play in the centre of midfield as well. So I had a clear vision of where I wanted to play. QPR were playing me more out wide and I wanted to play in the middle, develop my game. Gillingham was a place I could go. They played good football, but it was a couple of divisions down. But underlying it all, you know, I knew the, the, that God would provide and uh, and I knew that uh, I was safe in his hands. Therefore, it allows me to take certain uh, risks, if you like, uh, knowing that base security and identity. So, so I think from the book, the point at which you now move to Jim Smith at Newcastle, in mid, mid-20s. Um, uh, 23, I was, yeah. yeah. This is a point where this is a massive move. You're back where you might say you belong, and indeed where you play out a big chunk now of your career, uh, at the top in the Premier League. Um, you be, How long before you become captain? It's not an awful long time before you become leader at the club, right? Mm-hmm. And your career is has both a, a great number of top managers in it, and they appoint you as their captain regularly. Now, I think this was unique, Gavin, in this period. Everybody knows you're a Christian. Mm. You're known, of course, as a top player. And managers choose a Christian top player as their captain. Give us an insight into why you think that was, because you totally integrated your beliefs into your football and everybody knew what you stood for. Can you unpack that? How do you think that happened? And give us a story or two on that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was captain uh, most of the clubs I played at. And uh, as you say, I was was public about my Hmm. faith. And, you know, I'd done magazine articles, newspaper articles. I remember even being at Bournemouth and I just signed as club record for Bournemouth and, and the local news did a piece on me about my Christian faith. I just married Amanda uh, back the week before and, and Harry came in and said, my wife and I were sitting there, really enjoyed that piece uh, that, that you came out with, you know? So I think I was just, it was just natural for me to talk without bashing the guys in the dressing room <laughs> over the head. Um, and and I think then my play on the field. So I, I just, I think it made me the best footballer that I could be, uh, because as I say, I've talked about that that fear aspect b- being gone, um, but also realizing that I think all Christian employers and employees should be the best kind of employees and employers that that you can be. You know, work is a good thing made by God to work for God to the best of your ability within the rules of the game uh, or or the company you work for with a center uh, centering on other people as well, working for a greater good. So, so that then you should be uh, a good uh, player if you're a footballer in the team. And, um, and so I think, you know, I, I began to, develop as well into my game and I, and I, and I was one of the best players, if not the best player at, at Newcastle there for a while. And I led by example. Uh, I, I, I was a talker, but I led by example so that uh, I think that was recognized by, by the managers. You know, you and I have talked in the past. Um, sometimes a manager may have thought, Oh, Christian player. Oh, is he going to be, is he going to be aggressive enough? Is he going to mean enough to him? Uh, you know, they, they might worry a little bit about that. 
But it certainly wasn't the case for me because, as I said, you give everything. You're aggressive within the rules of the game. Um, you're honest on the field. You give for the team. Um, and so then the manager's recognising those kind of qualities that are actually really biblical qualities that should come out in any kind of leader. Um, and they want, that, they want that kind of man leading the team. And so for me, that was good, uh, recognised by Keegan and Hoddle and others, Jerry Francis. Um, and, uh, and one of the great honours, I think, of my career. Now, I needed to grow as a captain. I, I talk about this in the book. You know, Keegan said to me, mm. he said, as a captain, you need to give even more of yourself to the team than the others. And that was hard. I was 24. And I was uh, thinking, you know, so it's enough for me to just keep my game together and lead by example and talk, but just to give that bit extra. I had leaders around me that came in like Barry Venison and Paul Bracewell. They'd been champions, you know, and I probably could have tapped into their experience a little bit more and, and, and you know, how, how should I be, you know, how should I lead this team? How should I be captain? Um, so I learned from that. But I think as I developed through my career and matured, I began to see the bigger picture better and, uh, and to really grow into that, that role as a captain. And as I say, one of the great honours of my, my career was captaining those teams. Well, uh, where you talk about Kevin Keegan and indeed about Glenn Hoddle and, and the role you had in leadership and going back to QPR at the end of your career uh, mm. with Jerry Francis and leading there as a mature player. Mm. Um, it's a great read, actually, for anyone involved in professional sport, elite sport, because it really taps into what it looks like to have a real purpose for your vocation as, a, as an athlete, player, mm. coach. Mm. Uh, and also, obviously, supporters will be delighted by it because you get a real insight inside the dressing room and yeah. how it works. Gavin, what we haven't touched on at this point then is, um, you know, they'll say Christianity is the way of the cross. Uh, you take up your cross and you follow Christ. There's a cost to it. Uh, your career is stellar. It comes across humbly, but it's it's a stellar career. What aspects of hardship came your way i realize you've got to be discreet but what aspects of hardship came your way within the game mm. because of being a christian or did did none actually emerge yeah i mean be, there's a couple of things maybe to say is be, being a christian doesn't immunize you that's a, 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 an apt word to use at the moment doesn't immunize you against uh, suffering and difficulty, uh, but also, you know, Christians suffer. And, and you know, I, again, you know, I've, uh, at the height of my career at Newcastle, when Jake, my son, was born, he was born with one hand. And, you know, I explain this a lot and talk about it in depth in the book. But, yeah, for being a Christian um, explicitly, uh, yeah, there were a few times on the field where opponents would uh, say things that were, uh, yeah, that, that were disrespectful or picking on my Christian faith. Um, there were a few nasty comments made by fans at times. Um, and I remember there was one uh, article I did, uh, and I'm some captain at Newcastle. We're in now promotion season to the Premier League. And I did an article for the, the Sunday Sun in Newcastle, just talking about my Christian faith and, and football. And the headline came out the next day, why I can never be one of the lads, Gavin Peacock and his Christian faith. And I thought, oh, no, like the lads are going to make a hammer me here for this. I had no control over the headline. And I, I, I hadn't meant it to come across as, as elitist at all. Just that, that 
um, that I am one of the team, one of the lads. But as a Christian, of course, you that you do have a high, uh, you march to a different beat. You know, your your as we've talked about, your identity is in Christ. My goal and purpose is ultimately beyond football, um, and that's what I meant. Uh, and there were a few harsh words in the dressing room for me, a little bit of Mickey taking, but a few harsh words. I think uh, after that article. For, for really standing up for my faith, but also maybe it was it wasn't taken in the way that that it should have been taken. Mm-hmm. So a few things um, along the way uh, uh, as a Christian that you, you know I had to to suffer that uh, way, and I think as well um, those times where I did have to make decisions uh, with the guys wherever we were, where I was just going to withdraw myself from maybe certain things uh, that may have led me into, you know, areas of temptation or what have you. And so I use my head and wisdom to be one of the guys, but still to try and maintain that, that Christian walk and, and, and ethics. Mm. I mean, as you, obviously there's so much in the book and we've got a few minutes to play with here of your time. So uh, a great story around the 96 cup final when if that ball just doesn't hit the bar and goes in against Man United at their prime, mm. oh my gosh, it would have been different. I mean, it's great. It's a great story. Uh, you work with Glenn Hoddle, you play with Hullet, he becomes the manager. Um, but I'm going to bypass them and let people read about them. Um, I, I think I want, I want to help our listener today to think about the retirement issue because 18 years at the top level, professional football and big chunks of that at really, really good teams. You've got to leave the game at some point. You seem to navigate that retirement well. It's well known that it's very difficult coming out of the game. You could have been a manager, coach for sure, with your track record as a a captain. And I know a number of managers would have encouraged you in that direction. You choose the media. You have six very, very strong years in the media uh, between Sky and BBC. You're being headhunted for all kinds of roles. Tell us, before we get on to the last stage of of leaving this country and going off overseas to to work in Canada, Mm. give us a feel of what's underlying the narrative in the book of your retirement process as a Mm. Christian. Mm. Well, Knowing when to retire, I think, for for a footballer can be can be a difficult call to to make, especially if, you know if it's not a case of you know you've been finished by an injury. I mean, the legs you know do start to get tired. I, funny enough, I remember talking about that. I, I remember you coming to the house to visit us in in Newcastle uh, back in the early nineties, and I remember. G- going upstairs at the end of the evening. I think you must have stayed over the night you were staying over. And I said, Graham, like, because I'm, I'm always fighting to get fit, uh, to recover for the next game. I said, don't your legs ache when you walk up the stairs? I said, don't you remember that as a player? And you went, no, I can't remember that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm at that stage now myself, having been retired. Like, my legs don't ache going upstairs. But well, when I was playing, you know, you're always carrying knocks and you're tired from going, just going up the stairs, my legs ache. But at the end of, a, you know, an 18-year career, I was, I was carrying a little bit of a knee injury. Uh, QPR were struggling financially. Uh, I was their best play, paid player. I went to Charlton on loan in the Premier League and uh, Alan Kerbertsy said, you know, if, if you do well here, I'll, I'll take over your contract from QPR and 
And I thought, well, a swan song in the Premier League. And I had a four appearances or whatever, and I got injured. So I started to pick up a few injuries. The knee was a bit of an issue. QPR, then in financial trouble. Uh, Ian Holloway had just taken over and wanted to change things around. And so uh, it just seemed I could have carried on, but I wanted to finish when I was playing decently. And I, as I say, I had that little bit of time in the Premier League in my final season. And so I decided to call time on my career when just about 35, just before I was 35. Um, and again, you know, I think it was one of those because, because I was a Christian, because football wasn't uh, everything to me. And I know that's a funny thing to say for a lot of professional footballers, even listening or people listening who are fans. It meant a great deal, but it wasn't everything. I knew that at some stage I have to retire and that God would provide something for me in the future. Then it was a case of weighing up what I was going to do. Um, yes, the coaching route. Jerry Francis was very keen for me to kind of, uh, when I was playing there, and funny how things work out. I think if Jerry had stayed at QPR, I might have gone for the coaching route because I loved him. I respected him. I could have, I could have learned under him. Uh, but it was different. Ian, young manager, Holloway come, comes in. So I start to go the media uh, route. And uh, I had to start again from scratch. And, uh, you know, again, in the book, I talk about principles of starting again in a new career or anything. Um, you know, but I think I listed seven of them. Um, but I think one of them is that, you know, remember no one owes you anything. You might have been very successful in your previous career, uh, but it doesn't guarantee that it should be easy for you in the next one. So I had a mindset to kind of learn. And, um, and I had to start from scratch. I was earning £100, £150. I started with Capital Radio, going, you know, to, up to Middlesbrough from London, 16-hour day on a Saturday, learning my trade. Uh, and eventually got to the BBC and World Cups and, and all of those things. But again, you know, that underlying, uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a sense, oh, I'm, I'm okay, you know, I don't have to work, God will take care of everything. No, there is principles of work here, an understanding realisation that God opens doors and he'll provide and, and, and it will be okay. And so that's how I made the decision to retire um, and that's the attitude that I took into the next career in, in the BBC. And I, and I loved the six years that I had there uh, and would have carried on uh, if I hadn't uh, been called to the ministry. How early, how early in your career, football or media career, at what point did you think, I think I might have to be a church pastor? <laughs> 2006, 2007 was when I really thought about it seriously. Um, I think before then, you know, I'd enjoyed doing, uh, you know, any uh, testimony things I, from a, as a young Christian, you know, invited to a church, tell people about my faith, tell them the gospel. I'd, um, I'd led a few Bible studies. We'd hosted the London Christian Footballers. Bible study with Christians in sport when you would come to the house on a, on a Sunday night for several years there. And although I wasn't kind of leading that in terms of teaching, it was, you know, I was hosting and organizing. So I had a little, you know, I had that sort of leadership thing in there and a desire for people to know Jesus. Um, but it was in 2006 
And I had just finished the World Cup in Germany with the BBC. So I've been now a few years at the Beeb. Um, I'm in there 18, which is quite, you know, the thing. I wasn't Alan Shearer retiring. I worked my way up and now I'm in the big event. And so at the zenith of this career to, to, to speak to date. And then I came back and Amanda, my wife, got quite ill. Uh, she was in hospital for a couple of weeks with a kidney infection and there was a couple of other things that could have could have gone south. And as is often the case, suffering can recalibrate you and, and your focus. And, and I was reading the word of God uh, and, and I saw the, the, the part in 2 Timothy 4 where Paul speaks to Timothy and charges Timothy to preach the word, it's to preach the word, Timothy, in, in some for the, for the future of Christianity. And I thought, what a thing that is. You know, an eternal value and uh, this great charge uh, to to preach the word, and I enjoyed, as I say, leading and leading men onto the field of battle and addressing the guys as I got older a little bit in the dressing room. And there's something about men gathered together, you know, playing for a greater cause where the risk is higher, the reward is great. Uh, but then something inside me stirred about, well, maybe I I might be called to to lead in the church, to, to preach and shepherd the people of God. And, and so I spoke to my church leadership because that was just an internal feeling. Uh, they recognized certain gifts and uh, biblical qualifications. And then I started, now I'm still working for the BBC, I started to do studies at Cambridge University. You're, you're all stomping around there. And I, uh, I was doing Old Testament and New Testament studies. And I would like drive in on a Monday or a Tuesday after being on doing match of the day on Saturday and uh, I'm with all the guys that are going into church ministry and all they want to talk to me about is, oh, what did you say about Arsenal at the weekend? Oh, I can't believe you said that about Liverpool and I just want to study the Bible. Uh, but of course it was fine. We chatted. And, but, but I knew then, Graham, I knew then once I started studying seriously, I said to my wife, I think I'm going to give it up and take some concentrated time to prepare for church ministry if God would have it. Cause that didn't guarantee just cause I got my studies didn't guarantee that I was going to be a, a, a pastor in the church. So it was the time that I spent at Ridley Hall at Cambridge uh, that really was the, the, the crux of everything in terms of knowing then that I was going to make that move towards full-time ministry. And that's some time ago now. That's uh, what the best part of, 14 years, I guess, eh? 10, 15 years, yeah. Yeah. And can, I mean, I, could, I mean I'm I'm starting to I had left school at age 16. I wasn't I wasn't stupid. I did done my I got a few GCSEs, but I hadn't written papers. I was I was I didn't even know how to type. So I'm studying theology and I'm having to write four or five thousand word papers with footnotes. I didn't even know what a footnote was. Um it was hard. I had to get the brain going again, and uh, I found it a real challenge, you know, mentally to, uh, as well as uh, spiritually, to to get stuck into the books. Mm. Well, that that draws us towards you know towards the back end of the story. Then we we push push on at that point. We push on to where you are today, and and indeed both a local church ministry and a, a global reach uh, mm. in the work that you do. Uh, so certainly uh, a new vocation has really come to fruition. I think, Gav, as people read the book, um, there's something that's harder to see uh, because you don't big yourself up in it. But I think we look back now, and I wouldn't mind just a couple of minutes from you on this in, in terms of reflection before I throw your googly on the euros. 
Um, I really think looking back to, to those mid nineties, uh, people often ask us today, you know, there seem to be more Christians involved in professional sport in professional football, uh, in the UK than, than we'd seen ever before. And I really do think that when we look back to that period, seven or eight years in the 90s, uh, when you came back from Newcastle to London, you and Amanda hosted, uh, numerous players came through your home in, the, in that period because it covered all of London uh, on that monthly basis. And so many people now in 2021 who have management jobs, backroom jobs, uh, sporting director type roles in professional football, media people, they they rub shoulders with you in that period of time. They won't necessarily say they're Christians themselves, but the respect gained for the ability to be a Christian and a top level player has gone on from then. Uh, with so many people in the game who are Christians and those who aren't, but respect what they saw in the nineties. <laughs> you can't easily say that in the book, of course, but I have to say, Gabba, I do think when we look back on that window of time, it was a very pivotal moment in Christianity penetrating professional soccer in this country. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I, I think looking back, yes. And it shows we shouldn't despise the day of small things. I mean, mm. when we would, you know, get, <laughs> when we would put out the email and uh, and then the, I, would, I would be like, oh, Graham, there's only, no one's replied and it's Friday. We're supposed to be cut meeting on Sunday and, and even on Sunday, you get to, to Sunday and, wow, there's only a couple of guys coming and then Amanda would make the sandwiches and, and then people would come and and we had some great times in in the house there in in Bexley and you know it was a long journey for you to come down and you'd prepare a little study and we but guys would come and you know these were f- professional footballers and uh, and they would bring their wives and uh, and and we would pray and we would sing and we would hear the the bible taught and we would talk about things that were unique to to our particular uh, profession and how the Bible speaks to that. And they were really, really good days. And um, as I say, couldn't have imagined maybe maybe you had a bit more of a vision for how you could kind of expand the work of Christians in sport in, in that way. And now, of course, it's gone to broader than professional football and all the university stuff. But, yes, it, it was a good time. And um, and I think, you know, just, to, just thinking about encouraging uh, Christians that, you know, it's ne- the, the work for God is never wasted when you do it for, for the Lord and you just don't know uh, what he's going to do with it. So felt privileged to be part of that at that time. And, and I think, I think that the, 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 the key thing is, you know, being a Christian and a, and a professional footballer and you talk about integrating the, the two is, and I tried to get this across in the book is it, it, it needs to be natural uh, and organic, your faith. Cause and I write, uh, and that's the way my book is written. God is the God of all of life, and and so I touch on. And my book is a story of life in all its complexity, set against the backdrop of beautiful game, but with the light of my Christian faith on it, so that it's not, you know, it doesn't seem unnatural um, when you talk about the gospel to people, because people see that God is uh, is your Lord in all of your the parts of your life, and you're not kind of some kind of strange, weird creature, although maybe are a little bit strange. Uh, but no, you're not a strange, weird creature. You're just a normal guy uh, that loves the Lord and uh, knows what he's made for 
uh, and know, knows that great love and joy and that you just want to tell other people about it. And so um, I think that's that's the key in terms of integrating Christian faith into the sporting world and the sporting arena. And I think making connections with people uh, with regards to sport and faith, that this idea of the glory you know, that you seek in, 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 in sport, the, the, the unity that you want to do this thing together. You want to praise something that's big and beautiful and, and, and grand. Uh, and of course that is what we're made for. We're made for worship, worship of God, not ultimately worship of, of football. So tapping into these common grace things that, uh, that everyone is made for, cause we're all made in the image of God. Um, uh, it's just that most people don't know that and they need to be shown that and we need to be able to make connections to that and sport is just a great way to do it. And you talk about global ministry, you know, I, I go and I I preach at churches when invited. I'll do uh, seminars and teach on on the family, uh, but there is an aspect of, of work I do where I'll tell my testimony, which is the book in, in, an, in an hour's chat with people, um, and it's a great privilege to kind of get people that never maybe would, would have normally walked into a church building to, to, to hear your testimony, to hear about Jesus. Well, Gavin, we'll sign off at the end of this by uh, highlighting how to get hold of the book and, and really encouraging people to read it. But it's evident from the number of really top people in football, really top people, uh, really good people in football who may not necessarily say they're a Christian, who have written something about this book. You know, you go to the first page, first page you see, uh, I don't know these men, so I can't speak into their lives, but I've got Robbie Fowler, Glenn Hoddle, John Motson, David Moyes, Les Ferdinand, Alan Kerbishley, Jerry Francis, Rob Lee, who you played with, Pete Graves, Sky Sports, Alex McLeish, Rangers, Michael Johnson, Tom Watt, the broadcaster, Michael Thomas, the footballer, a whole range of people, Harry Harris, the journalist, a whole range of people verifying that this is a book worth reading. It's mm. about real life. It's about God and real life and football and the whole great thing uh, of life itself. So thank you, but I can't let you go uh, without telling our listeners that uh, this should be coming out at the end of the first week of Euro. So all, all the home nations will have played their first game only. So going Peacock, uh, sharpen your punditry now. Uh, how's it shaping up? Because there'll be hindsight involved in this podcast. What are you yeah. thinking? End of week one. Well, I mean, I, my punditry skills are not as sharp as I used to be, <laughs> but uh, from what I've seen, I'm even going into the tournament. I I think my tip would still be uh, France to win it. Maybe, maybe Belgium, the Italians strong. I think England um, minimum quarterfinals, um, and uh, and they'll beat Scotland, which is <laughs> no problem at all. Now, I, I, I actually, my wife's half Scottish, so uh, so we do love the Scots and uh, and the Welsh. Uh, <laughs> Come on, any danger of a punditry on the Welsh? Thank you very much. <laughs> and we love the Scots and Welsh. I was always brought up, my, you know, with, remember the old the games that the, the home nations would play back in the day, and yeah. um, my dad would, would always say, you know, in any of the big tournaments, if, if England, Scotland, uh, Wales, or Ireland are in, if England are out, you, you support the others. So, so I will do. But yeah, I, I do. I do think that France, with that kind of Mbappe and Kante and Ogba and all of the great players there, I think they just might have the edge 
over the others. But uh, even as we've seen in this first uh, week with Christian Eriksen and the and the incident there, it very quickly we're brought back to life and death, mm. uh, the brevity and fragility of life, and and what we're really made for. And so it is, it, even through this tournament, it's brought us back to the big questions of life. Mm. Alan Peacock, what a great privilege to spend some time with you. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Graham. There you go. Uh, Great to hear from Dano and Gav. Uh, Thanks so much for listening in. Um, As we said at the start, his book, A Greater Glory from Pitch to Pulpit, is out now by Christian Focus. Uh, You can find it on all good bookshops. In the UK, The Good Book Company, 10 of those, Eden, all have it in stock. It's well worth a read. Uh, That's us for this week. Uh, We're going to be back next week uh, with another interview, discussion about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a sports person. So do subscribe. Uh, You'll get it straight on your phone. It'll ping for you. Do pass it on as well to others you think might find this useful or helpful or interesting. Uh, Thanks so much for listening in. Goodbye.